I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. In John 16, 12, Jesus stated, there is so much more I want to tell you. He then pointed to the spirit as the one who would come, who would further his teaching by bringing his word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Today, I'm excited to have Nika Spalding with me, and we're going to have a conversation around John 20 and what the Lord helped her notice in this passage and what he's teaching her. Nika is a proud graduate of both the University of Oklahoma and Dallas Theological Seminary. She's currently working on her doctorate of ministry at Northern Seminary, and after several years as a woman's minister in North Dallas, God gave her the privilege of planting a church in Oak Cliff. For you non-Dallas people, that's southeast of Dallas, and it is called St. Jude Oak Cliff, and she currently serves there as the resident theologian. Well, welcome, Nika. It's really good to have you with me today. Uh, thanks, Jody. I'm happy to be here. It's really fun to get to do this with you. I've always admired you from afar. So when the email hit, that was really sweet to be like, yeah, let me come do something with Jody Nisnik. So yay. Love well, it. the feeling is incredibly mutual. And hey, before we get started, I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about you, but I also want you to tell us exactly what a resident theologian is. I love it. Uh, It's funny that you're even asking this because somebody this morning on the radio asked me like, what's the fastest way into your heart? And I was like, oh, well, either yell out boomer sooner or ask me about my nieces and nephews. So I feel like that like rounds out my entire personality is I'm a huge OU fan. I love being an aunt more than anything in the world, and it's an extreme joy and privilege to get to be the resident theologian, but everyone always then asks, wait, so what's a resident theologian? (laughs) So, uh, you know, I make the joke typically that when you church plant, there's only like two of you on staff and one gets to be the head pastor and the other gets to be whatever they want. So that was the title we made up, but (laughs) that's not entirely true. What it means is I get to set the theological tone and pace for our church, and so A lot of that is doing midweek theology. A lot of that is, um, you know, writing position papers, answering questions people have, um, meeting with folks and pastoring them through that. A big part of my job is also just pastoring. Like there are, there are just two of us. And as you know, Jody from years of ministry, there's always ministry needs, which is a joy to get to do that. But I participate in the Sunday morning liturgy. I preach on occasions. Um, it's almost, it's rare on a Sunday. You won't see me on stage doing something. Uh, and then midweek. And so right now we're actually in a Trinity class, which is really fun. So very fun. I might make the drive down there to come Love attend it. that. That would come be fun. On. <laughs> yeah. Those of you who aren't from Dallas and those of you in Dallas, Oak Cliff is the best part of Dallas. So, I mean, any trip down here is a culinary paradise. And then of course I'm here. So I love it. I'm biased. I know, but I love Oak Cliff. I feel like you just gave every single person listening an invitation to come have dinner with you. hundred percent. That's exactly what I did, but we'll be eating tacos. So I hope you like tacos. All right. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Bring it on. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, let's uh, dive into the passage. We did this as an imaginative prayer experience, asking the Lord to just guide our sanctified imagination to help us really enter into this passage. And it's John 20, verse 1 and 11 through 18. So let me read it for us again, just to refresh our memory. 
Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Okay. So one of the reasons I I love doing passages like this as imaginative prayers is that we, if you've been walking with Jesus any length of time, you've probably read or studied this passage multiple, multiple times. And I feel like imaginative prayer helps us just enter in maybe in a new way and notice some different things. So I'm curious, Nika, as you let this scene kind of unfold in your imagination, tell us about it. What, what did the Lord help you notice and see? Yeah, it's so good. I, you're absolutely right. This is a passage that, I mean, in just the liturgy of the church, typically at Easter, like this is one of the big ones. And so I've probably preached on this thing, maybe five, five to 10 times. And yet um, because of the guided exercise you had for me, I really was like, okay, I want to slow down and like imagine myself in Mary's sandals. So like, especially, and I'm glad you included verse one. So like, I'm, I've been to Israel and I've been to one of the presumed places that maybe this could have taken place. And so one, for whatever reason, it was like really cold as I was imagining it and really dark. Uh, and like, you know, when it's like cold and dark and maybe cause we just had that huge freeze in Texas, like your nose gets like kind of runny and moist. Cause it's trying to, and like, that's what I was imagining is I'm like sitting there, like snot wiping my face. I'm sure I have a headache because I've been crying. I'm sure nonstop for three days. Cause I've lost this man who means so much mm-hmm. to me and who I thought was the Messiah who I, who I gave my life to in terms of like walking and spending all this time with, um, and just like sick from grief. Right. And so you're trying to go early in the morning to do this beautiful thing. Like you presume she's going to be with him and prepare his body and sort of all this stuff. And she's cold. I'm sure she's exhausted. I know she's full of grief. I'm sure her stomach hurts. I doubt she's eaten. These are all the things that I'm imagining. And what's interesting about it is I actually suffered a, a traumatic loss about two years ago. My sister, um, just a little bit of a trigger warning for your audience, but like she took her life. And so it was a really unexpected loss that left me wanting more, like just like wanting another conversation, wanting another moment with her. And so that's what I actually imagine Mary feeling of like, I wish I'd had one more conversation. I wish mm. I would have said this to him. I wish I would have 
done something different or just like, so I imagine like just this swirl of emotions super early in the morning, wet nose, cold toes, just, you know, sitting there alone. And what's interesting, I mean, like just, I'm, there's something isolating about grief. And so I imagine though she experienced this very public crucifixion, even when you go through something like that, you still feel really isolated. And so I, that's what I was imagining her feeling. And I was like, in my head, in the gar- there's a garden in Jerusalem that they say maybe mimics a little, I don't know, you know, but <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's cold. It's, it's, you know, yeah. it would have been, it would have been chilly probably during this time of year in that part of the world. And so that's the first mm-hmm. thing that came to me was just like, the depth of darkness, like John loves to use dark and light in really contrasting ways. And of course he's like, Hey, it was dark. Like he's, that's for John. That's not just dark, yeah. like literal it's spiritual. Often you see this yeah. like Nicodemus comes at night cause he's hiding. And so like, there's these dark light things that John's doing. And so that's where I started was just yeah. really trying to put myself in. It's interesting. Cause then later you were like, Hey, put yourself back into it, either in Mary's shoes or a fly on the wall. And I was like, Oh, I was already in Mary's sandals. Like I was already <laughs> in that woman's sandals trying to imagine it from her perspective. Yeah. Well, as you're describing that, I feel like this almost like cavernous like hole in my soul. Like mm-hmm. as you're saying all of those things, I just feel this like deep void and sadness that grief brings. And and I appreciate you even thinking through what did her body feel like? Those are amazing details to wonder about and think about. Cause I do think it helps us slow down. Mary was a real person. Mary yeah. was deeply grieved and she wanders out to go and do this one last thing. Yeah. Um, oh, I always so think good. about when I preach this, I rush to Easter, you know, sort of like this, like, cause I know, I know, yeah. like I'm about to be like the woman's the first witness. She's going to go preach to God. Like, I'm like, get ready, flip Say all the things. Go. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I think in my like hypeness, so to speak. And I, and really, I think in the last two years, because of the extreme grief I went through, it has, it has like softened and slowed me to where now I like, I don't know that I would have said I'm the, I was the most empathetic person. And now my empathy abilities have, have gone up. And so that's why this exercise, I mean, I've probably, I'm like you said, I've probably preached on this so many times in that really dark moment before she recognizes Jesus, I can just, I mean, and I started, so it's funny because you said this. And then I started imagining like the other disciples and his mom and sort of all these like people of like, they watched the man they love crucified and we rushed to Easter and certainly there's nothing, nothing wrong with that, but um, there's a humanness here that we can miss if we go too quickly, I think. So your exercise was really helpful to slow that down for me. Yeah. And I think it's good to remember the three days that they Mm -hmm. waited were long and hopeless and confusing and um, just, yeah, they didn't sleep. They, they were way, you know, like they were in the process of grieving and like, yeah. And they probably weren't eating and they weren't taking care of their very, you know, kind of physical needs because they just were so overcome with what just happened. Yeah. You know, Um, it's like expecting that. Yeah. Like the waves that come, like you have a moment when you forget, right. What just happened. And and then all of a sudden the wave comes back and you're like, Oh, and I, and you think about like for them, like the magnitude of, they really followed this guy around this weirdo. I always tell people, he's such a weirdo. We miss that sometimes. Like he's like, Oh, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, what? (laughs) right after that, it says many disciples walked away, you know? And so like when Peter has this moment with him and he's like, are you going to walk away too? And Peter's like, where am I going to go? You have the words of life. 
but you can imagine Peter's like, but it would be great if you would just act a little bit more normal, like, you know, and so here are these men and women that literally believe he's the Messiah and he does the worst thing a Messiah can do. And that's get killed. And, you know, you think like, how can you be a king? You're dead and you have no offspring. Like, this is not what we thought. And so not only is there the grief of losing a man that they loved, but like the dream of the Messiahship, like this, they probably felt foolish and confused and heartbroken and, you know, and, and so, and, and I'm sure their neighbors and other people were like, y'all, he was just a wackadoo. We tried to tell you, like, we, we tried to warn you. This guy was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and, you know, all those emotions. I just was like feeling overwhelmed for Mary yeah. as I was like trying yeah. to imagine what she's feeling. Well, I would love to know, first of all, I want to thank you for sharing about your sister. And mm-hmm. I can only imagine um, the process that you've had to go through with that, but in also how it helped you identify even in this moment. Um, so, but tell me as you went further in, so I asked you then, okay, now imagine you're Mary. So did anything else come in that, that third reading where you're really trying to, to see it all through her eyes again? Yeah, I think, you know, when she doesn't recognize Jesus and then, you know, mistakes him as the gardener, there's kind of an homage from, from John in that moment of like a wink back to the first garden. Like there's this fun thing that John's doing, but, but what stood out to me the most was the moment she recognizes him. Like, I just kept thinking, like, I remember after my sister died, I just kept thinking, I just wish I had one more day, like one more day to say all the things that I never got to say. And, you know, and you replay all this. And I kept thinking like, she got that moment. Like that's like, she got to have the moment that everyone who experiences loss wants. And not only does she get the moment, what's crazy is like, I imagine like I would have like clung to him and he's like, let go. I'd have been like, no, no, like, no. And, and yet he's like, no, no, there's more. Like, I was thinking about like, not only does she get that moment, like everyone else is going to get that moment in that inner circle, but also those of us who lost people in Christ, we're also going to get that moment. And that feeling of like Mm. reunion and resurrection was like that. Cause when you're in grief, I mean, that's part of the bargaining, like, Lord, I'll do anything to give me one more day, one more hour, one more, whatever. And in Christ, you get that. And I think that that relief of like, I'm sure she replayed in her head things. She wished she could have said that I'm like, she'll, she, presumably got to like, got to say to him, I loved yeah. you. And I'm so grateful for you. And you know, all you were the one I mean, so, you know, and so all that, so that's what I kept thinking is not so much like, Oh good. The resurrection of the dead just took place so much is like, I got my friend back mm-hmm. who I get to say to them all the things that I wish I would have said. And I think that's such a gift that in Christ, we also get it's a relief. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I think we do all long for those conversations with people that we've deeply loved and also people that we don't even know yet. You know, like I, I want to have a conversation with Mary and be like, tell me what was really happening. Like, were you really freaking out? What was going on? And I, I mean, I believe we're going to be able to do that. Um, well, we'll have eternity. And so I think it will be fun to hear the rest of these stories and, for all of our sin to be gone. Like we'll also get to have these conversations with the very best versions of ourselves, yes, which is yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, that's um, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think it's funny though. The one thing that she gets out of her mouth is teacher. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's it. That's, I mean, yeah. I'm, maybe they, she said more, but that's what gets recorded. Yeah. Um, 
and and then he sends her sends her on the way to go. I know. I'm like, there's no way. I'd have been like, no. <laughs> I know. I'd have been like, I I know you're like God, but no. And yet, you know, obviously, when God tells you to do something, you should probably obey. But right, yeah, just, yeah. I imagine him like kind of like pulling his arm, her arms <laughs> off of him, and like putting them back down. Hey, yeah. hey, I'm. It's not right. It's not time yet. Yeah. Um, well, what's in even in that? Like as you're saying that, like. The reality is, is like as a Jewish man and a Jewish woman, they really shouldn't have been embracing. That's right. And and that's a moment of like, mm. I mean, there's a moment of honesty. Like it's an honest response of hers that I, yeah. I, and I think Jesus throughout his ministry, let women touch him. I think that's what makes him so remarkable. So I imagine there were plenty of times where she embraced him, but like to have that moment of honesty where all cultural expectations are thrown out and you're just clinging to your savior. And mm. I think it's such a beautiful picture of like, I would hope that's how I would respond. Right. Yeah. Like I would hope that's if, if it, like, cause so many times you think like, actually, so people respond in shame or guilt or they turn away. And I think like that speaks to the level of love that they had between the two of them, that that's her response. Or we let our cultural expectations hold us back from doing what we really wish we could do. Like yeah. if we were unhindered and unencumbered by all of that, how would we respond? Yeah. And like Martha, when she's like, tell her to help me. And I'm like, Martha, Jesus is in your house. <laughs> like go sit at his feet. Like, I mean, you're just, you know, you, but you, I can also imagine though, you're like, well, I got to do the right thing. What's yeah. the right thing. And I'm like, well, the right thing is always to abide with Jesus, but Yeah. Yeah, but she's also thinking someone's got to feed these people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. she's a, Jesus yeah. could have also taken care of that. We know he, I know, he, not he did it before. <laughs> Jesus, are you not going to feed us? I mean, I've seen you do this. Like, I'm in the kitchen. I could be in here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, tell me. So then I invited you to stay with Jesus and have a conversation with him. So tell us about kind of that experience being there as yeah. Mary or now as you. How, yeah. What did that look like? No, I definitely went back to to me in that mm-hmm. moment and thought about, I think that there's at the end of the Jesus story book Bible, there's this line where it's like he undoes every sad thing or of every, you know, it kind of, and I think that was the conversation I had with him. It was just like, not, I think I know it was just like, I really am looking forward to that day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, especially in light of the pandemic and so much grief. And like, I also think like what was so strange about losing my sister in that way was so many people were losing people in traumatic and sad ways. And, and, um, there was like a shared grief. And I think like, I, it's easy to lose sight of, I think so many times we think of the resurrection as like, Oh, well, that's my ticket out of hell as opposed to no, that's the first fruits of all the resurrection. Like we get a restored humanity and we get a restored creation and we get a restored relationship. And like all this brokenness gets to be undone. And I, and so that was really the conversation was just centered on in my gratitude that yeah. it won't be like this forever. Uh, those we've lost in Christ, we'll see again. There's a day coming when, you know, this, this world, like the created part of it will be redeemed. And I think that that's something to look forward to. And, and not, I think I know it's something to look forward to. And it's something I look forward to more now than I did maybe 10 years ago. I think I've always kind of defaulted into this like personal salvation way of thinking about Jesus's cross and resurrection, as opposed to like this global cosmic restoration. And of course you're in a garden. Like, I mean, that's the thing you're in a garden. I'm standing in a garden being like, there was a garden. Now we're in the garden and we're headed to a garden. And that it was not lost on me is like, I can't wait to go there. I don't want to leave here. I don't want to leave this garden with you. 
I have to for now, <laughs> but I will be back here in, in a yeah. real way, not imaginative way, a real way with you. And so that was the conversation. It feels very hopeful. It feels like it was just this time of like being refilled with the hope of what's coming and it just being real. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's the right word is like, even through all the like pain and grief of these last two years, I, I'm more convinced now than I ever have been. Jesus is worth it. And I'm just, I long for home in a way that's not, there is sadness in the longing, but there's great, great hope in the longing. And I think that that's been a surprising gift out of the grief is I've been surprised by the hope. And um, yeah, and so I do think it's hopeful. And it's also a a solidarity of like, I know you want to be with me, Jesus. And I know I want to be with you. And I know you have work for me to do until then. So I will see you face to face someday. Yes. And I believe that. And yeah. until then, your spirit is more than enough. The Trinity is more than enough. But I, I, I'm ready for the rest whenever yes. that day comes. So, yes yeah. and amen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm curious because I know that you have spent quite a bit of time studying the book of John mm-hmm. and did that deeper study of the book enhance this for you? Or do you feel like it maybe hindered doing imaginative prayer? I'm just kind of curious. How did that? Oh, no, it definitely enhanced. No, it definitely enhanced. I think I I actually, one of the things I, I don't know why I haven't done this before. I was like cracking up because actually what you were describing, I couldn't have like systematized, like this is what we're doing. But that's one of the things that I love to try and do for people. I'm like, try to put yourself there. Like, I want you to, like, I teach, I taught yesterday on John 6, where Jesus is literally saying like, hey, I'm the bread of life. And people are like, you can't claim to be the bread of life. He's like, no, no, not only am I the bread of life, like, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. You're kind of like, ew. Like, and I'm just like, yo, I need you to try to imagine that. You're with this crazy guy, born in a manger. He's out doing weird things. And he's saying the most egregiously bizarro things. And and we just breeze right past it. Like we just move, you know, yep. cause we kind of know the end of the story. And so I think, I think it enhanced it. I think this is one of those stories that I probably just don't slow down on because I'm trying to get to the res. I'm like, no, I'm like rushing to the Easter trumpets That's and that right. moment in the garden to slow down right there where there's a lot of grief and pain and confusion and darkness, I think is a, that was helpful. I just think, mm. I think because it's Easter, it's like, no, we're the lights going to break forth. Like the yeah. lights are coming and it's good to have that moment. All right. Right there at dusk, you know, like, or I mean at dawn, like right, right before. So mm-hmm. no, it it was honestly, I, I took your notes and I was like, man, I want to, I want to go back through John and do this all over. Well, there again, you go. All these stories. So yeah, it definitely enhanced it. Yeah. Well, and, um, I think, oh no, we did imaginative prayer on John five, one through nine. I was like, I think we might've done six. Um, but that's where Jesus asked the man, do you want to be well? Do you want to? Yeah. Oh, that's a great one also to imagine. But um, we did that one a few weeks ago. Okay. So I have another question for you. Um, I did not tell people this at the beginning and I am fascinated. You went to the University of Oklahoma. We are Sooner fans here at the Nisnik House. Boomer, let's go. But you got your degree in zoology and I'm dying to know. Yep. What, what led you into that field? What did you dream about doing with it? Cause obviously well, maybe you are using it a little bit. I don't know, but tell, uh, tell us a little I, bit about yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, uh, I, so the bizarre thing about the University of Oklahoma and then the other school, Oklahoma State, uh, they, <laughs> Oklahoma State has a veterinary school, but their undergrad has a biology program. OU has a medical school, but their undergrad has a zoology program. And nobody has seemed to figure out why this is. So really, I thought I was going to be a doctor. But to this day, Jody, if I see blood or vomit, I like literally get weak in the knees, like literally. And I'm pretty strong hypochondriac. Like I don't like, I don't like going to hospitals. I don't like going to the doctor. I come away like with, you know, pseudo symptoms that I've made up. So, but I started there thinking I was going to be a doctor. I was nine hours in and God was like, what are you doing? Uh, So I finished my degree and I will say I used my degree to tutor all through grad school. So it did pay for DTS. So in some ways I used it, but I also will say there are some bizarre moments in the old Testament when my animal like knowledge comes in handy. Like when Jacob's doing his weird, like putting the things in front of the animals as they're mating. Cause he's trying to get the spotted ones and all of that. And people are like, Oh, I didn't know that that's how you get spotted animals. I'm like, no, that's not, no, that was, he, he was confused and God still increases bounty, but no, it's, it's genetically driven guys. And here's how you get spotted ones. You Eight spotted ones together. And so, but anyways, every now and then my degree comes in handy. I will say though, I live, I'm not kidding. I live about 0.2 miles from the Dallas zoo. And every day I drive across Marcellus, I can see the elephants and the giraffes and the zebras on my way to my house. And, uh, and so I love animals. I love the zoo. I will, I'm not only inviting everybody to come to Oak Cliff and have dinner with me. I will go to the zoo with anybody (laughs) that wants to go and I'll razzle dazzle you with my ridiculous knowledge of animals. So, uh, yeah, but I I thought I was going to be a doctor and now I just love animals. So you weren't going to be a zookeeper. I mean, I, I would love that. However, it goes back to the same things that make me a bad doctor. Animals create a lot of icky and I just, I I don't think I can make it. I just don't think I could spend my days cleaning animals. Okay. So I can well, barely handle awesome. my cat. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that you wound up with a degree in zoology. I know it's pretty random. People are like, what? And then my favorite is like, it's pronounced like zoology. It is pronounced that way, which is fine. Like people can say, oh, everyone. well, I've when people, when I it wrong, no, no, no. And <laughs> no, that is totally fine. Who cares? It's the most right. bizarre word. But when I say zoology, my favorite is when people correct me. I'm like, no, no, I have a degree in it. Like I, and they're like, ha ha ha. And I'm like, no, no, I literally have a degree in that. So, and, but it doesn't matter how you pronounce it, but it's just funny. When That's awesome. Like, okay. So we've zoology. all learned, we've yeah. all learned it's zoology. It's zoology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like you're getting, you're getting your doctorate of ministry. I feel like that's going to be in a more applicable study area <laughs> <Let's> than <hope. laughs> zoology. So tell us a little bit about your doctoral work and what are you, yeah. what are you working on? I love it. It's a doctrine ministry and typically doctrine ministries focus on a very practical ministry thing. Like you can get a demon in women's ministry and get a demon in preaching and things like that. But this is one of these weird programs out of Northern that's in the New Testament. Like it's a demon in just studying the New Testament. And the whole idea is like pastors need to be equipped with this knowledge, but typically you have to go get a PhD to do this kind of program. But most pastors don't have the time and money to go get a PhD. And so Scott McKnight at Northern, who's a guy I've just respected for years, and he's a giant, he created this program. And it's designed to help pastors get more equipped in their study of the New Testament. And so that's what I'm studying. It's so fun. I love it. Uh, I do have a paper hanging over my head that I know I need to be finishing soon. But it is, it is without a doubt, one of the most fun hobbies is collecting degrees. So I'm just going to keep doing it and keep learning. So yeah. I'm not sure I would say that's a fun hobby. It's a really, <laughs> that hobby takes a lot of work and a lot it of does. money it and does. a lot of, a lot of eye strain. 
reading all well, of the pages. When you are a resident theologian, I mean, that's my job is to be You're, as good at this job as I can. So, you know, yes. it makes sense. Yeah. All right. That's how I justify getting these degrees, Jody. See, like, you know. It makes yeah. perfect sense now. All right. <laughs> well, hey, I know people are going to want to find you. So I know you have a, a podcast. So tell us a little bit about that and tell yeah. us how we can find you. Yeah. The podcast is called God on Tap. And it's just me goofing off, teaching through random books of the Bible. I try to pick some more obscure ones like Amos and First John and uh, Jude are in there, which is fun. Lamentations, I just finished up because I was, of course, in a season of grief. So I am bad at it. It's not as organized as Jody. You will not have this beautiful voice that she has that works so well on a podcast. It's my scratchy voice, uh, but it's super fun. So God on tap. And then you can always youtube our uh, saint jude channel and I'll, you'll see me preaching or teaching our theology in fact we post our theology classes so if people are interested in that they can always watch online as well which is really fun that's awesome all right well i'll put some links in our show notes so people can find you well nika this has been truly delightful thank you for being on the podcast today i appreciate it thanks jody hey before we go i want to have our- a voice for this <gasps> by the way i it do Oh, well, yes. I'm still, okay, well, hold on. We're, I'm still talking in the podcast. Oh. <laughs> so I love it. All right. I've got my little ending announcement. Yeah, I got to do. do it. All right. Hey, before we go, I want to remind you that you can grab your free Lectio Divina journal at jodynisnick.com. I've created this to guide you and help you be more engaged during our scripture experience podcasts. And just to help you also take notes and remember where the Lord is directing you. So I'll help hope that you'll take advantage of that resource. And friends, uh, I just also want to thank you for joining me and Nika today on So Much More, because we really do believe Jesus has so much more to say to us. And this is just one way we're creating space to listen. Now we're done. (laughs) Sorry, but also you should leave it. You have an amazing voice for this. Has anyone told you this yet? Thank you. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.